Amen. Well, good morning. You know, I was thinking about that during that last song before Paul even said it. That that's why we gather. We gather to worship. We worship through singing. The Bible says sing a, a new song to the Lord. So we, we express our love, our appreciation. We, we put pieces of scripture to song and we worship through singing. We worship through giving. You can give on our app. Um, Common Ground Carson is our app. On Mission is our Wi-Fi here. So you can actually give on the app or you can give in the box in the back. But giving is part of worship. So we give Uh, We worship through giving. We worship through our mind. Now we're going to open the word and look at what God has to say. And so we worship that way. But that's why we're here. We're not here to get anything so much, although worshiping is really more for us than even for God. But we're here because he's worth it. And we worship. You know, last week we worshiped by serving. We went out and we handed out groceries, uh, and it was a a wonderful, fun mission for a lot of us, and and there were some divine appointments that happened last week, but we got to worship through serving. So there's there's a lot of different ways to worship. Worship isn't just singing, although that's probably the most fun (laughs) way, I think, or, or sometimes the most emotional way to worship, but we're here to worship. So let me encourage you, worship also together. Uh, that's one of the benefits of a fellowship. We get to be together. And so afterward, we hang out, uh, and there's some worship in getting to know each other and loving on each other. Uh, let me pray, and we're going to get into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for music. You are the one that created music. Thank you that we can sing to you. Thank you that we get to worship you and that we gather to give back to you worship, uh, but yet it is such a blessing to us. Uh, I'm so grateful, Lord Jesus, that our religion isn't one of legalism, but our, our, our religion is one of joyful response to you and to the relationship that you have initiated, that you have made possible, and that you continue that relationship through your Son, through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Be glorified this morning as we continue to worship in our minds, in our hearts, looking at your word, and then again, responding as we sing some more. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to be in John 10. Um, if you've been tracking with us, we were, we've been in the book of John now for about a year. We started it just after Easter last year, and the reason we started John was we wanted to get to know Jesus. We've been through a couple different series around the Christmas time and, and seeing what God's plan is for our lives, and now we're back into John for the next four weeks, uh, and then we have Easter. So this morning, and we're going to be in John 10, I don't know if we have a, uh, a number for the page number, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you or under you in one of those boxes, grab a Bible, you can use your phones, that's okay, uh, you can take notes on your phone, on our app if you want. But we're going to be in John 10. Now, have you ever had this experience where you were familiar with somebody and you had an impression about them? You you thought they were a certain way, and then you got to know them, and they were totally different than what you expected, good or bad. Uh, Kayla's not in here, so I'm going to refer to Kayla. Kayla is our 10-year-old. And Kayla has what Brendan, Brendan's our 18-year-old, Brendan calls resting mean face. And so maybe some of you have that. But it's just kind of a just a scowl. And it's just the way her face rests. And, and she used to be a little bit more shy than she is now. Uh, and people would have the impression that maybe she was a, an unhappy child or she didn't like them. Uh, Kevin and Danielle, if you know them, they're missionaries to the Czech Republic. And a couple years ago, they were in our house in our living room and talking about stuff. And, and school got out and Kayla got home from school and she walked in and she had never seen them before. And she just did this. 
And she walked through the room looking at him like this. <laughs> Kayla, come here, say hi, you know, and she just walked through back to her room and she was gone. And so the impression can be Kayla is a rotten, mean child, but once you get to know Kayla, she is pleasant and joyful and silly and just loves to serve others. She's the one that loves to serve. And so you have to get to know her, but she has to let you in for you to get to know her, to know the real Kayla. Well, think about that with God. Today, we're asking the question, what is God like? Because every religion out there is formed to tell you what God is like. Everybody has an opinion. Here's what God is like. And you may have an idea or had an idea growing up what God is like based on experiences, based on maybe a verse uh, taken out of context, possibly based on what movies and TV tells you about the church and about God. But you may have an idea about God. But how can you really know what God is like unless he reveals himself and you get to know him? A.W. Tozer says that the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. Uh, A little bit different. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So is what is coming to mind when you think about God true? Because there's, like I said, a lot of religions and also a lot of opinions. And maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've said this. I don't want God to be like that. I can't believe in a God that would blank, which really tells us more about you than it does about God. One example we're even going to see some today is the idea of universalism. I can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. Well, that, that tells me more about you. That, that means nothing about God. You wish God was a certain way. It doesn't mean God is that way. So how do we get to know God unless he reveals himself to us? We used to have a, an anthill in our ditch out front. Uh, it was one of those red ant hills, one of those fun ones, and that was where when the kids waited for the, the bus stop was right there, they would throw rocks at the ant hill and watch them go crazy. Uh, when we caught a scorpion once, we dropped it on that ant hill to see what would happen. Well, a few years ago, you remember the floods. When the floods came, it washed, that ant hill's gone. I don't know where they all went, but the floods came and washed it away. Imagine, they came to your house. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, imagine... I wanted to save those ants, and I knew the flood was coming, was going to wash them away. How would I tell the ants? How would I warn the ants, move your anthill, the flood's coming? I'd have to be coming, yeah, yeah. Kids often have have the best answers. Yeah, he knows the answer, but yeah, I'd have to learn how to speak ant, right? Or ideally, I'd have to become an ant so I could go down in those little tunnels way underground and say, hey, we got to get out of here. It's kind of like that with God. All these religions said, God is like this, until God said, you know what, I'm going to tell you what I'm, gonna, I'm like, I'm going to show you in the person of Jesus, God came to show us what he's like. So turn, if you're in John 10, good for you, now turn back a little bit. John chapter 1, because one, the reason we got into the book of John to begin with is because we want to get to know God, and God has revealed himself in Jesus, we want to get to know Jesus so we can know God. And in John 1... Verses 17 and 18, John writes this. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. What this is saying is that one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons Jesus came is to make God known. Some of your versions might say to explain God, or to explain the Father. That word I actually looked that up, uh, he has made known, that's actually one word. And maybe you've heard it in English, the word exegete. 
It's a very, you know, biblical theological term, but exegete, it means studying the Bible or something else and explaining it to somebody else in a way they can understand it. That's what I do almost every Sunday. I take a passage and I study it to see what it says and what it means. And then I try and explain it to you in a way that you can go, aha, that's what that means. I get it. And you get to know God. What this is saying is Jesus did exactly that. When he came, he explained God. So people got to know Jesus and they went, that's what God is like. Jesus came to reveal and explain the Father. And this is your first note. God has revealed himself in Jesus. God has revealed himself in Jesus. The book of John is referred to as Christological. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus is all about God because he's equal with God. And he's been saying that throughout the book of John. Colossians 2.9 supports that. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him, referring to Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Ultimately, that's why they killed Jesus, because Jesus claimed equality with the Father, and they killed him for it. And Paul writes in Colossians that in him, the fullness of deity dwells. And so we're going to see in in John chapter 10, this is so much fun, we're going to see Jesus explaining himself, saying, here's what I am like, and through that, we get to know God. So pay attention. If you want to know what God is like, pay attention. But in in chapter 9, this was a long time ago. (laughs) This was, I think, December when we were in chapter 9. But in chapter 9, we saw a man born blind receive his sight. Jesus healed him. And it's it's an amazing picture of conversion in John 9, where somebody meets Jesus. The blind man meets Jesus. He believes in Jesus. Jesus heals his blindness. But then he also heals him spiritually. There's a real contrast going on in John 9, where the man is blind physically, but he's also blind spiritually. He was born that way, just like all of us. And God grants him sight, and he saves him spiritually. And so part of that, he, he goes from dead to alive, spiritually blind to spiritual sight and spiritually alive by believing in Jesus. Then he's right away brought before the Pharisees, and he stands as a witness for Jesus. He knows almost nothing. He's one of those great examples. If you're like me and you go, well, I need to know more before I go share my faith, this guy knew almost nothing. He didn't even know Jesus' name at the time when he was witnessing. And then he went out, and Jesus said, oh, that's me. And he believed and worshiped. So this man believed, worshiped, and he was actually kicked out of the synagogue. He already suffered and was was excluded and rejected because of Jesus. And here, this chapter, what we're looking at is Jesus speaking to that man who now has sight. They're in the public square. The Pharisees are there. There's a crowd there. They can all hear what's going on. And Jesus had just told the the blind man, I came that the blind may see, and that those who think they see will become blind. And the Pharisees are standing there, they're like, are you talking about us? (laughs) They didn't say it that way, but they knew. They said, you're talking about us. Who are you to say that we're blind? And now Jesus is going to explain himself as the good shepherd. So let's start in John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought them out, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
So picture this scene with me. Jesus is there. The man who had gained spiritual sight is there, physical and spiritual. He's there. There's a crowd who are being swayed toward Jesus. They're there. His disciples are there. The Pharisees are there. There's a crowd, and he's speaking so that they can all hear this. And he's using an analogy of sheep and a shepherd, and it's one that they knew. Why sheep and shepherd, might you think? People have often, you know, I've heard this answer a lot. Why are we always referred to as sheep? Because sheep are dumb and we're dumb. That may be part of it, but what is different about a sheep than every other animal in the animal kingdom? It's, yeah, it's defenseless. It's the only animal, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as I said, it's the only animal fully dependent on man. It's defenseless. It cannot do anything on its own. It is the only animal. Now, goats, goats are great. They can, they can live, they can climb, they can do all kinds of, but not sheep. Sheep are fully dependent on man for their survival. But when they're with man, they're the top of the food chain because they're completely dependent. So think about us. We're like sheep. We need to be completely dependent on the Father as the good shepherd. And we're going to be getting to know God as the good shepherd in Jesus. And they would know this analogy. It's all over in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 34, 31 says, as for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Isaiah 40, 11, like a shepherd will tend his flock in his arm. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And in Psalm 23, 1 that Mark read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we could go on, it's all through the Old Testament, that God is the shepherd and his people are the sheep. And that's the analogy that Jesus is going to use. And they knew right away as he started referring to this, that he was making parallels with God in the Old Testament. Now, the analogy is one that they would understand, but maybe one that we don't understand so much. So in, in Israel then, and even now, there's a lot of shepherding going on, and they do it different than we do here. Here, you know, we have herds of sheep and there's dogs and they drive the sheep. In Israel, they still do it where the shepherd goes ahead and calls and they follow. And the way they would have it is, is if they were out and about, you know, they would take their sheep out of town and they would go out and about and they would create a fold out of stone or sticks or brambles or they would create a fold or in town, it would be a walled structure. And they would take their sheep and they would put them there overnight for safekeeping. Often, several flocks would all go into the same fold overnight. And then the shepherds could go sleep. They would hire a young boy or somebody to come guard the door and, and, and be there. And so several flocks are in the same fold with a boy standing at the door and the shepherds getting their nice rest. And the next day when they come, you see here, the boy opens the door for the, the shepherd. The boy knows the shepherd, opens the door. The shepherd walks in, calls his own sheep. And it says here, you see in these verses, by name, you know, Fluffy, Snowball, Betty, Bob, they hear, and they're like, oh, okay, and they come out. The rest stay in. They come out, they follow their good shepherd, and they go on. But he talks about here, too, that there's others. There's the good shepherd, but then there's the thief and the robber. These are the ones that would climb over the wall because the doorman wouldn't open the door for them. So they would climb over, take the sheep, steal them so that they could eat them, shear them, create their own flocks, sell them. They could do all kinds of things with them. But they're called a thief and a robber. And this is clearly referring to the Pharisees there, but it's also referring to false messiahs that had come before. Now, for us, we see thief and robber. We think those mean the same thing, but the word robber has more of a a brutal tone to it. 
that these false teachers, these false spiritual leaders were brutalizing the sheep. They were using the sheep for their own gain. And we can all probably think of stories of that where spiritual leaders or supposed spiritual leaders, you know, take advantage of people for their own gain. But the good shepherd is in a pose. He's setting up this, this comparison. Here's the bad shepherd or the, the, the thieves and the robbers, the false leaders. And here's the good shepherd. The good shepherd comes in, calls, and they follow. This is in verse 3. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the good shepherd is intimately acquainted with you on a very personal level. You belong to him. We're going to see this a little bit more later, but this is one of those first points that you see. The good shepherd knows his voice by name. We're not just a random group of people. He knows you and your name. In fact, he knew your name before the beginning of creation, and he knew you were going to be part of his flock, and he chose you by name. And you see here, he, he leads them out, and he goes ahead of them. He calls them, and they follow. You know, when I think of a shepherd, and I think of the story in Luke um, of the, the shepherd who goes w- looking for one, one sheep who is strayed. You know, at night, they would take them out. They would take them to good pasture. At night, they would bring them in. He would put his rod over and count them as they came in. And he knew each one. And so when they came in, they would close the gate. He knew if one was missing. And he knew which one was missing. And he knew their tendencies. And he would go out and he would find them. You know, that's the opposite of maybe us. Uh, you know, for, for me, for us, we tend to say, you know, get on board or get out of the way. <laughs> you know, but the, the good shepherd, he knows who's, who belongs to him. And he will go find them. Intimately acquainted. But now, moving on to verse 7. So, I need to point out, textually, there's, a, there's kind of a shift between 6 and 7. He talks about six, and he uses this shepherding analogy. They don't understand. So he adjusts it a little bit, starting in verse seven. So if you try and compare like all the pieces, sometimes we do that with analogies. Well, who's the doorman? Well, who, you know, who's every little piece? You know, we, we want to be careful doing that, because in seven, he changes it just a little bit. Uh, he says in verse seven, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is the first of two I am statements in this passage. In the book of John, there are seven I am statements. All of them are keys to see what is Jesus like and therefore what is God like. And we've talked about this before, but that phrase I am that is equivalent to God in the Old Testament. When Moses came upon the burning bush, you probably know that story. He was out wandering. He saw a bush that was burning and not being burned up. And he went and, and a voice came from it saying, this is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And God gives Moses a mission. And he says, well, who should I say is sending me? Who are you, basically? And he says, I am. You know, Moses had grown up in Egypt. Egypt had many gods. Ancient, you know, the ancient world was typically polytheistic. They had many gods. And so, so Moses says, well, who are you? And he doesn't give him a name of a God. He says, I am that I am. We say it Yahweh. I am that I am. I always have been. I always will be. I am. I don't have just another name. I am. And here in, in the Greek translation of that, you've probably heard of the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, which was well circulated by the time of Jesus. The way that's translated from the Old Testament is igu and me, and that's exactly what Jesus says. 
So when Jesus says, I am, he's saying, I'm equal with the Father, and this is what we're like. And he says first, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. He had been talking about these false teachers, these false messiahs that came, and now he says, I am the way. Maybe you've heard this before, and we're going to see this later. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. In Acts 4.12, it is written, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He is the only way to the Father. So if you're here this morning and you've wondered, do all religions lead to the same place? No. (laughs) Can I just be really good or as long as I faithfully follow something, I will get there? No. There is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and that's Jesus. He is the only door of the sheep, the only door. And so you see here, and this is our first big point. Now, we want to know what God is like, but we really want to know what God is like in comparison to us or in relation to us, don't we? And so that's what we're learning about the good shepherd. What is God like in relation to us? And the first point you see in these verses is that the good shepherd saves. The good shepherd saves. He says in verse 9, if anyone enters by me, and we know that that is by faith, believing in Jesus, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And in verse 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is an important part. Do you, know, you want to know what God is like? He didn't come. He doesn't choose people so that they can be his slaves, although we are his slaves, but so that he can use and abuse and, and get his own will. He saves so that he can give abundant life. Go in and out and find pasture. That is, there's an Old Testament picture there of coming in and out. God often would say, if you obey me to Israel, the nation Israel, if you obey me, you can go in and out before me. Blessing is what he's talking about. Blessing, spiritual blessing. And you will go in and out and find pasture in this abundant life. And this pasture, that's our second big point. The good shepherd provides for his sheep. The good shepherd provides for his sheep. Let me go back to Psalm 23 real quick, and you can turn there if you want, or you can just follow along. But this is what Mark read. But in Psalm 23, David is writing about God, the Father, as the shepherd. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Picture this scene. If you've never memorized this one, it's a great chapter to memorize. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Good food, green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. A sheep won't drink out of fast-moving waters because they don't swim. They'll fall in, they'll get way down, they'll drown. So a good shepherd takes him to good food, good water. Look at this picture of peace. He restores my soul. And so this is the second big point we have, that the good shepherd provides for his sheep. He doesn't call us to this life of following, following him and says, good luck with that. The blind man that got sight, I mean, just read chapter 9. What happened to him? He professed Jesus And they said, you're out. It says that they kicked him out of the synagogue. That was Jerusalem. That was Judaism ruled everything. He was kicked out of his family. He was kicked out of everything. He had nothing. But what it says here is that that's okay. If we commit to follow Jesus, we may lose everything, but he promises to provide. He promises to provide. And we could probably take a a show of hands. When have you ever worried about your provision (laughs) for your mortgage and your food? And we have. You know, looking around the world, we have it very different than, than the rest of the world. They do worry about their everyday food. We can get food stamps if we need. 
But we do worry about those things. Matthew 6, 31 and 33. Jesus says, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Provision. Jesus saves us. The good shepherd saves us, and he's the only way to save us, and he will provide for us. Abundant life. Abundant life. That's spiritual blessing. Now look at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd, the second I am statement. So in the first six verses, you know, he's talking about this good shepherd. Now he finally says, I am that good shepherd. The one I was talking about in those first six verses, that's me. He says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So what's the next thing we see? What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd protects the sheep. The good shepherd protects the sheep. The best picture we probably have of this again is David in the Old Testament. If you remember when David fought Goliath, (laughs) not Samson, he fought Goliath Goliath was a giant. When David went to fight Goliath, he was just a boy. You know, he was probably like one of these two here, Josh or Andrew. You know, they're a little taller maybe than David was. But David was a boy, and he went, and he sees Goliath come, and he's taunting the armies of Israel. And David's like, what's going on here? You're going to let people talk, somebody talk like that about God? And he goes to the king Saul, and he says, I can take him on, because I've taken on bears and lions. And that's what he did as a shepherd. He said, when I was a shepherd, if I'm there with my sheep, and, and a bear comes running out, I'll run out, and I would grab him by the beard, and I'd hit him with my club, and I'd kill the bear. That's, what a, that's the picture of the good shepherd. Now, a hired hand, you know, someone making eight bucks an hour. You know, something comes to attack the sheep, what are they going to do? It's not worth eight bucks an hour. I'm out of here. You know, have a good meal. But the good shepherd owns the sh- That's part of this. The good shepherd owns the sheep. The good shepherd bought those sheep. They belong, they're in his family. They belong to his family. They're his, and he will protect them with his life. You see, that's what it says, with his life. It doesn't mean he has to die for sheep. David didn't die for his sheep. But he will lay down, that's verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It just, the example there is just laying it out. I will put my life on the line, is the idea, for my sheep. So the good shepherd protects his sheep. As you look back at Psalm 23, Psalm 23, if I can find it, Old Testament. He starts in verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or if you were raised Catholic, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's one of the things I think our Catholic counterparts got right is they read this often. But though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How often have you been afraid in life? Afraid of what you would see as a worldly enemy or a spiritual enemy. Some of us have experienced that, spiritual oppression. I think we all have. Some of us have recognized it. But what's he say? He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd had two primary tools. One was a rod. 
and it was a weapon. Shepherds out in the field, they would have competitions throwing their rod to see how accurate they could be, and they were very accurate. And then they had their staff. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was the weapon, and the staff, too, it was hooked on the end. You know, picture little Bo Peep, kind of. But their hooked staff, they could grab the sheep to pull them close. So there's an intimate picture there. If they were getting a drink out of the water and the sheep fell in, the shepherd could grab him and save him and pull him close. So the rod and the staff, they comfort the sheep because that's what they use to protect. Again, that rod is what was placed out, and he would count the sheep as they went underneath. And he would check out the sheep. They would use their rod. They would check out their sheep, inspect them. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Meaning, we don't have to be afraid. We have a good shepherd who has promised to protect us. We've talked about this. You know, we're a young church. We're almost a year old, Easter. The best thing that the enemy can do is destroy us. And how would the, how would the enemy want to destroy a church typically? Disunity. Bring people in. Get us at each other. The enemy will move in. And we've seen attacks on unity. We've seen attacks on individuals. We've seen attacks on our kids. God will try and get us and take us down. And if you're going to be part of his mission, the enemy's going to step in and try and stop it. It's not going to stop us from going on mission. But Jesus goes with us. He's our good shepherd. He will protect us. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid. Now, what is our greatest threat? This is what came to mind as I was thinking about this. Before our next verses, what is our greatest threat as men and women? What's the one thing we will always lose to? Death, right? Death, what do we fear most of all? Public speaking is one. Death is two on the list. But death, we fear death. Death is a result of sin. Death is the enemy. Sin is the enemy that we can't fight. We can't win that battle. In two weeks, we're going to see that battle as Jesus raises Lazarus. It's going to be awesome. But that is our greatest enemy is death, not even the devil. The greatest enemy is death, which will get each of us. And after death comes judgment and comes heaven or hell, it's absolutely real. And which way will will we go? Jesus saves and Jesus gives eternal life. Jesus protects us even from sin and death from enslavement to sin now, and from the penalty. This morning, you know, every Sunday morning, I go back through and, and pray and look, and the thing that stuck me, I was driving back over here, is I said, Jesus, you protect me from my sin. So even though I continue to sin, I'm not perfect yet. Maybe you are. I'm not yet. Although sin is still part of my life, he protects me from the penalty that that deserves. I won't be punished for it. He forgets it right after it happens. That's not an excuse, by the way. It's not an excuse to keep on sinning. Because a true Jesus follower follows Jesus, but he protects us. Look at verse 17. Or verse, I'm sorry, verse 14. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The good shepherd protects, and he goes on to see how he protects us from sin and death, and he does it with his own life. This is what we're going to be celebrating as we go toward Easter, his death and his resurrection. Jesus proved he is the good shepherd 
by dying. Think about this. You know, we talk about this often, but this is the gospel. We're going to talk about it all the time. What is, what is our greatest enemy? Sin that leads to death. What is the thing that separates us from God? It's sin. Sin, we don't realize, sin is an eternal debt that we owe God. Even one sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that verse goes on to say, for the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But often the question is asked, and I know it's been asked here, why did Jesus die? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to rise again? Couldn't he have done some other way? Wasn't there another? He's God. Why would he make himself suffer so much? Wouldn't there be another way? But in Hebrews, it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So our sin is an eternal debt that has to be paid. It can only be paid. An eternal debt can only be paid by somebody eternal, right? But yet, what's the payment? It's blood. Can something eternal bleed? (laughs) God eternal can't bleed. So God had to become flesh so that he could bleed for us. Picture that. This is God. We're getting to know God. God stepped out of eternity. He took on flesh. Philippians talks about it very well. He took on flesh. He dwelt among us so that he could suffer. So he could explain the Father, but then so he could suffer and die to set us free from our bondage to sin and protect us from the enemy of eternal death, hell. That's the good shepherd. That's the good shepherd. He gave it all for us. I love this picture. And if you look at these, you know, it says, verse 18, no one takes it from me. No one took Jesus' life. Do you know that? He went willingly. No one took it. When he died on the cross, it said, he, bre- he breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it up. He died willingly. No one, verse 18, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Listen, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Now, they didn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand what he was saying, but he laid down his life and he took it up again. And the reason he rose, and this is why we celebrate Easter, the reason he rose is he proved he won the battle. That's the proof that what he said was true. That's the proof that we can have confidence he gained the victory over sin and death. How do I know that my sins are forgiven and I'll have eternal life? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Death didn't win. Death will beat you and me physically. Death beat Jesus physically? No. Jesus laid it down and Jesus took it back up. He won. This is our good shepherd. You know, the example that came to mind as I was thinking about this, and it's not nearly good enough, but I remember when Brendan was two years old. I remember carrying Brendan. Um, he was small then. And I remember carrying Brendan and walking down some steps. And they were not great steps. They were sloped and they were all covered in ice. And I stepped and I slipped. And as I fell, you know, I twisted my body so that I took the hit, you know, rather than Brendan taking the hit. I could have let him go, caught my fall, and that would have been great. But then he goes tumbling, you know, but what I did was I held tightly to him and I took the hit. Or actually similar, Callie got bucked off the horse last week. She had a boy with her, you know, and she got bucked off. And as she flew, she grabbed him and tried to twist so that he could be protected. That's what we do as parents, isn't it? That's what our good father did for us. That's what Jesus did for us, the good shepherd. He took the hit, fully just wrapping us in his embrace to protect us. That's our good shepherd. But then there's, there's one other thing that I want us to notice, and it, we move back into verse 14 and 15. Look at verse 14 again. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He uses the word know over and over in there. This is the last note. The good shepherd desires a relationship with the sheep. Eternal life is this, that you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Do you know that's why you were created? To know God. The good shepherd desires a relationship with his sheep. He's not a distant God. He is intimately acquainted. It goes back to the beginning where he calls you by name. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He knows you. He knows all your faults. He knows everything great about you. And he desires an intimate relationship. That word no, that's not, you know, we think no, we think uh, intellectual, typically. We know something. This word no means to experientially know. You know, I know what it's like to jump on a trampoline because I've jumped on a trampoline. You know, I know, you know, my wife Callie because we've experienced life together, in and out, good things, bad things. That's the no. This is the no that he's talking about. He says he wants an intimate relationship where he knows us and we know him. It's an intimate picture. And in verse 16, you know that we are brought into that. He says, I have other sheep not of this fold. He's speaking to Jews there. We are the Gentiles. Those are the other sheep. We're welcomed in, into that fold. But I want to point this out. Think about, now picture, picture the beginning of the day when the shepherd goes and he calls out the sheep. And they come out and they follow him. What if a sheep were to just stay in the pen? I don't want to go. Would they get the good pasture? No. Would they get the good water? No. Would they get the protection of the shepherd? No. I think often, often we in the church, we want to, we want to be Christians. We want our fire insurance. We want to go to heaven. But yet, the following part, I don't know if I want to follow I don't know if I really want to follow. I want to come here. I want to drink good coffee. Um, I want to talk about people. I want to get help when I need help, but, but follow? <laughs> you, you mean you want me to go get uncomfortable for you? Eh. You want me to give generously and sacrificially out of what you've blessed me with? Eh. <laughs> we start saying no to things. But a, a sheep follows their shepherd. Here's one of the things. If you want to know that you're saved, you're following now, can somebody who belongs to God wander? Absolutely. Absolutely. So don't think that if you're not always following, you're not saved anymore. No, but, but he'll come get you. <laughs> and sometimes he'll break your leg so that you'll stay close while that leg mends and he'll carry you. But a shepherd follows their shepherd. For the sheep to, ex- a sheep follows their shepherd. For the, for the sheep to experience blessing, they are following. It's movement. It's movement. We're big on this, that God is doing something. Here in Carson City, God is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving. He's stirring hearts. He's stirring people. He's stirring me. I hope he's stirring you. And he wants to do things. And it's up to us to go, we'll follow. Where are we going? We'll follow. We're going to see this in a couple weeks when Jesus is going to, to heal Lazarus. And his disciples are like, don't go there. They're trying to kill you. He says, no, I'm going. They said, well, let's go die with him. They were willing to follow That's our response. So if we want to know what God is like, we get to know Jesus. That's what I love about this passage. We get to know Jesus. And Jesus in relation to us, he wants to save us. In John 3, 16, the most famous verse ever, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He wants to save us so that he can have a relationship with us. And he will protect us and provide for us all along the way as we walk with him, not as we sit comfortable, 
not like, okay, God, now I'm saved. Now grow my retirement account and all this and provide for me. No, we're going to go together. And that's when we get the blessings. Blessings aren't always material, but he will provide what we need. So this is what I want us to get out of today. Are you following? How's your following? How's your following? That's your only job. He'll do the rest. <laughs> He'll do the rest. Last week when we went door to door, our job was just to go, whatever. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. It was kind of fun. You know, I had Kayla and Elise with me. And uh, we got to pray in the car on the way down to hand out groceries. And we just prayed, God, show us what to do. And we went to some doors and we gave groceries and people were grateful. And then we're walking along and there was a man and his daughter uh, going. They were going up their steps and I kind of called out and like, hey, you want some groceries? I said, heck yeah. <laughs> so he came down and he grabbed some groceries. I said, anything we, we can pray for you about? And he said, yeah, this and that. And he had his daughter there. And his daughter was like, can I play with your kids? <laughs> you know, and both of my daughters looked at me and said, can we play with her? And so she runs into her apartment. She goes and she gets a book and she brings it out and she open, you know, and she's going to read it. And so my girl sits there and she's like, I don't know how to read. <laughs> you know, I can't read. So one of my girls got and started reading, but it was, it was a divine appointment we would have missed if we weren't just following and just trusting. And who knows what God will do? You know, we're going back there the Sunday after Easter. We're going to be having food and, and fun and, and things like that. Um, and they got an invitation and I pointed out, hey, we're going to be doing this. It'll be fun. He said, oh, we'll be there. So my kids will have an opportunity to see her again, and hopefully they remember her name. But if not, we're following. We're following, and that is the successful Christian life. Obedience, faithfulness, following. But the biggest thing that I want us to leave with today is that who is Jesus? Who is our God in Jesus? And he's worth following. Let me pray, and we're going to continue to worship together. Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> good shepherd, Thank you for your love. Thank you that you gave all to protect us from death, from our own sin, from ourselves. Thank you that you gave all and that now as we have placed our faith in you, Jesus Christ as Lord, we can walk with you. The Holy Spirit is in us and you will lead us and you will protect us and you will provide for us. I thank you. I thank you. You are so worthy. All I can say is that you are worthy all I can do in response to who you are is give you all of me, and I'm not very good at that. So forgive us when we withhold from you. Forgive us when our following falls short, but thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you've paid it all and that you accept us where we're at, and then you'll walk with us and you'll make us more like you. You are the good shepherd. Please use us for your glory. We want to follow you. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.